0: It is Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's guest is Ben Golliver, Sports Illustrated super team writer. Sp- everyone talks ESPN all the time. Sports Illustrated's combination of Ben Goliver, Rob Mahoney, Lee Jenkins, amongst others, as good an NBA coverage as you can get. It's just fabulous. Ben Goliver's podcast with Andrew Sharp, Open Floor, not a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But fabulous, really, really fabulous. I suggest you subscribe to your local Locked On Podcast Network and get your local team from the local experts every day. And then also go subscribe to Open Floor. All right two-part podcast. Part one's on the wackiness that was the day yesterday with five mammoth stories that came down. Washington, Cleveland, San Antonio, Portland, and uh, Milwaukee firing of kid, like all going on on the same day of, of just pure nuttiness. So we're going to start there and then we'll get kind of onto the floor for a while and then hypothetical changes to the league and all sorts of ref things and this and that in part two. But here's part one with open floor podcast host. SI Fabulous writer. You can send him a thank you on the Twitter thing like we always love to do. I appreciate it so much. When you do take a second and thank our guests so you can thank him at Ben Golliver on Twitter. That's at Ben Gulliver on Twitter. Thanks. Here's part one. You are locked on the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Well, it is a great honor to have Ben Golliver on. And while I only listen to Lockdown Podcasts, I occasionally accidentally tell Alexa Player before. Uh So, no, I'm a big fan of the show. And Ben, I have to say, this time of year to me is just the best. Because as somebody who travels with the NBA team, we've all been together too long. We've all been on the road too much. The trade deadline is looming. The great teams separate from the good teams. The good teams separate from the bad teams. And it just combusts. I mean, it's insane. The Ringling Brothers circus element of what's going on right now, I find just kind of awesome, even though it's all off-the-court stuff.
1: Oh, no question. I think we've got a record-setting time here this year for going from, oh, it's going to be a quiet trade deadline, everything's fine, to complete pandemonium. I think part of it is that usually people count down to that all-star break and and that's the time to take a deep breath. But when you move the trade deadline before the all-star break, you don't have time to work out those kind of issues uh, away from each other. You know, it it needs to be worked out right now. I think, you know, look no further than Cleveland. I mean, they're practically begging to make trades at this point publicly. The players are calling all these meetings with reporters and, you know, details of Kevin Love's illness are leaking. And, you know, I I think it's just uh, emblematic of, the type of move the NBA made with the schedule. You know, I really do think it has a lot to do with just moving that trade deadline up because it increases the urgency factor because now teams that really want to compete and really want to do it and win, uh, they feel like the clock is ticking right now even more so than it usually would.
0: All right, so we had five story. We're recording this on Tuesday. Monday, it was like a Trump White House. We had five stories that all could carry a week. So I would like to know in your mind, which was the most remarkable we
1: had. No, I'm go ahead. I'm on I'm on here feeling like Huckabee Sanders because I know you're about to hit me with like five or six different and I'm not going to even be able to respond. (laughs) I'm just going to have to nod my head, you know?
0: (laughs) So um, and then the only question is who whether we'd have someone play you in Saturday Night Live. Um, All right. (laughs) So we had. The Washington Wizards have a team meeting in which, afterwards, all the players go to the media to say that the team meeting was useless. And the night wraps up with Jose Baraya saying to the media, they sure don't seem like they'd like to play with John Wall. We'll revisit part of that in a second. We have the Kawhi Leonard is upset with the Spurs story. And I'm not entirely clear from... The murmurs around the league that LaMarcus Aldridge is still happy yet. We have the firing of Jason Kidd. We ha- Which is, by the way, there's a storyline in there, too. Like, they fired him at 3 o'clock on a game day with three days off afterwards. He had to have done something yesterday. Or something had to have happened. And then we have the story you mentioned with the Cleveland Cavaliers having a team meeting about Kevin Love that then they all leaked to the media and we have Damian Lillard meeting with Paul Allen on a private meeting. That's one day!
1: That was insane!
0: So to you, which was your favorite?
1: I mean, I would probably start with Cleveland just because it's the stakes are the highest, but I've been waiting for that Jason Kidd move for a while. You're right, the timing was weird, but it was also overdue. I mean, they're, they're clearly with some issues there you look at some of like his late game decision stuff. And I was openly wondering like back in December, like was this guy trying to get himself fired with the way he was kind of handling some of these games. And uh, you know, what was his buy-in level? Like, I would love to read the the long takeout feature about, you know, where his mind was this season. Uh, The Lillard thing to me uh, was also unusual because I think that was been very slowly building. And he obviously feels like perennially snubbed by this all-star stuff and He's been in the news a lot, campaigning for his own individual accomplishments in the media here recently. Uh, but the problems in Portland obviously go a, a lot deeper than you know just him or even his pairing with CJ McCollum. I mean, that roster is a mess, and Neil O'Shea is responsible for it. And uh, I think that meeting with Paul Allen, uh, frankly, was long overdue. But to me, if I had to only pick one, I'd still pick Cleveland because they've got shifts here. You know, like Kevin Love, that could be a trade piece. Um, you know, you you look at a guy like Tristan Thompson. I don't think you're going to get huge value for him, but that could be a potential trade piece. They've got that Nets pick. That's definitely a trade piece. Everyone seems to agree about that. And then they've, they've got a whole bunch of ugly contracts they're going to be trying to attach to various things if they do make a deal. And they really have an urgency about them. To me, the biggest uh, you know, in terms of making a move, and the biggest issue with them on the court lately, to me, is that LeBron looks tired uh and he doesn't look like he's cruising around in sixth gear and I think he's been trying to gun for that MVP award and he might have run himself into the ground a little bit here. So I don't know if he needs to take a little bit of time off, maybe one of those two week trips down to Miami, refresh himself. Uh you know, maybe he feels like he can't do that this year because Harden's such a good MVP candidate and, and that would cost him the award. But uh I think, you know, all the issues in Cleveland are always going to start with LeBron. Uh, to me, uh, he is part of the reason why they've been struggling here lately, and I think he's trying to just put the pressure back on ownership and management to make a move here. And I, I don't know if you see it at the same way as I do, but I don't really see one trade that gets them over the top here that really puts them on Golden State's level. And I'm sure that's a major source of his frustration.
0: Let me back. It uh, was a great point about LeBron finally tiring himself out. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that a lot his play everyone's talked about him having the greatest year of his career it's not natural like he's played 52,000 career minutes I've done the research after 40,000 minutes almost nobody has ever led their team as the primary guy to the NBA finals for him to do it you know again at 50,000 minutes is is totally unheard of so it's a great point on your part let let me back up for a second do they need to make a move to get to the finals
1: Yeah, very fair question, and it all comes down to me whether it's LeBron at 100% or close to 100% or LeBron kind of limping along at 80%. Now, I would like to reserve judgment on that till the first week after the All-Star break to see what he looks like once he's had some downtime, Uh, but I think uh, their roster as is to me, with LeBron at 100%, is still good enough to beat everybody in the East because as kind of plucky and a great story that Boston's been and as nice as it's been to see the Raptors really modernize things up there and take a lot of the advice that analytics guys were throwing their way year after year and it was being rejected year after year, those teams are, are not that fearsome. you know. And there's still teams that are vulnerable to LeBron just wreaking havoc as he has over so many pretty quality teams in the past. I mean, LeBron basically single-handedly swept that Hawks team that won 60 games. Uh, he certainly took out some pretty good Pacers teams, uh, along the way with, you know, real top end talent, a guy like Paul George, who matches up with him pretty well. Uh, I don't see players of that caliber, uh, on the Celtics roster or the Raptors roster. And so from that standpoint, uh, it all comes down to LeBron's health and, and his ability. And, uh, if I was Kobe Altman, I would not be making a trade necessarily to, you know, fortify, uh, my position in the Eastern Conference unless I also felt that trade really gave me a better chance against the Golden State Warriors. And uh, I would just bank on LeBron being able to be the hero and take him to the finals. Um, and so that may mean you don't want to put a, you know, a first round pick out there. You might be a little bit more conservative with that Nets pick. Uh, but the the issues with their, their matchup with Golden State just goes so deep. They don't have anybody to guard Kevin Durant. I mean, Crowder stands no chance. He's, just, you know, Durant just parades to the free throw line. Uh, LeBron can't guard Durant for long stretches because it, you know, it tires him out. Obviously, uh, they really have trouble with their interior defense, and you know, Golden State's movement off the ball, cutting, plus all their spacing just creates so many opportunities for high percentage stuff around the basket. And then they don't really protect the rim, and when Love's the center, uh, you know that that lineup really, really leaks. And and you can you can also pick on Isaiah too. So the point is, I'm listing off like nine different problems they have going against Golden State. And uh, I'm not sure there's one player or even two trades out there uh, that could solve all those issues.
0: Then, if that's the case, should they not trade the Brooklyn pick? And if and LeBron leaves them, and then they at least have a piece for the future if LeBron, in fact, leaves? Um, because I, I mean, I just don't think they have any chance to beat Golden State because I think Golden Golden State has the two best players in the league right now. Like, really, when you get down to it, Steph's having as good an offensive year as he had two years ago, and Durant's the best player in the league. So they're not going to get beat. So therefore, are you better off just holding the 10th pick or whatever it's going to be from Brooklyn and and not making a move because you can get to the finals with LeBron, but then you're going to get beat anyway?
1: Look, it's a big risk, and I think part of what LeBron's doing here is I think he is testing front office and ownership a little bit with some of these things that are happening recently, specifically look at his comments about Ty Lue and very lukewarm endorsement saying he didn't know where Ty Lue was going and he doesn't know what the organization's going to do. I mean, that kind of seems like a public cry for help, like, hey, Kobe, it's time for us to sit down one-on-one and really figure this thing out. You know, I think if I was Kobe Altman, uh, you know, honesty is the best medicine here. You know, I would sit LeBron down and I would talk to him and say, look, you know, here's how we think things stand up. We still think that we're the best team in the Eastern Conference period. We still think nobody can match up with you uh, in this conference. And we're looking at this Golden State matchup. And because of the offseason turnover with a guy like Kyrie Irving, you know, we don't match up as well with them as we did in the past. And, uh, you know, because of some of the disappearances of guys like Shumpert and Smith you know, it's really hard to put you know, qualified man units that can kind of play both offense and defense on the on the court at the same time to keep up with Golden State. You just lay that rationale out to LeBron and say, look, that's where we stand. If you can't give us an indication about what your plans are for this summer, you know this is what we're going to have to do. We have to keep the Brooklyn pick, uh, and we have to kind of start to have one eye towards the future. That doesn't mean we're not committed to winning a title this year, but – Uh, you know, we're being honest and realistic with uh, where the roster currently sits. If I was LeBron, obviously that's not the message that you want to hear, but I think you would respect the honesty coming from the front office and the direct communication. uh, And we'll see if it plays out that way. But I think you've seen a lot of criticism for how Cleveland handled last summer and and how they handled the uh, Kyrie Irving situation. And so it's a huge question whether... They have the personalities and the experience in that front office and in that ownership group to have those kinds of conversations with LeBron and to keep him on board. We just don't know that right now.
0: What do you think Kevin Love can get trade-wise? What's what's Kevin uh, Love's value? I
1: would would say not like a Jimmy Butler-type package, you know, but uh, I think there'd be teams that are interested in him. You know, when they were going good uh, in November and December when Cleveland was really rocking – Love was a huge part of it. And this guy, he shoots more threes and makes more threes than a lot of all-star two guards, you know? I mean, he's at, like, five attempts a game, shooting 40%. Uh, That kind of gravity is really helpful. The problem is he's miscast as the center. You know, he can't play small ball five on on an elite level. And so if you have the need, uh, like, say, Toronto did last year for a player like Serge Ibaka, where he's, you know, giving you just a different look at that power forward spot, and then you use him sparingly at the five – you know i could see uh, you know a similar type market being available for love i don't think it's time to give up on him as a player i know he's a really easy punching bag but remember he's getting all of this uh blowback and all this criticism because he's always on the biggest stake you know cleveland is always under that scrutiny uh, and you know another example of this by the way is isaiah thomas everybody's best friend last year people loved him you know everyone was willing to overlook some of his defensive issues and and, uh, proclaim him an MVP candidate in Boston. And, you know, he comes back from injury this year in Cleveland and there's been no patience for him whatsoever. All of a sudden he can't guard anybody. And, uh, you know, you're never going to be able to keep him on the court and this, that, and the other thing. And that is the effect when, uh, you know, you're in that LeBron James orbit where your weaknesses just get magnified uh, and you have to be really mentally tough, frankly, to deal with that. And I think, you know, Love probably deserves credit for that too. I see everyone bashing him over this, uh, you know, this illness and, and going out in Oklahoma City. But come on, man, this guy's tried to play through injuries, uh, you know, throughout uh, his career at various points, and he won a title, uh, and he was part of some big moments, you know, during that title. So let's not uh, let's not rush to throw him off the boat. You know what I mean? I'm just impressed if he found something
0: to do in Oklahoma City.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, uh, I actually kind of like Oklahoma City. I'm such a quiet, introverted type of guy that you know their quirkiness. You know, I always mention this on the Open Floor podcast, but like, there's the boot barns. You know, I could walk around in a boot barn for like an hour because I'm a West Coast guy. We don't have any boot barns out here. You know, I've never seen like six thousand pairs of boot uh, boots lined up before. I enjoyed their banjo museum, uh, which had this like old timey like music parlor upstairs and. You can kind of get lost in there. They'll let you play the banjos. Of course, I've never played a banjo before. I was afraid to touch it. I didn't want to break it. Uh, But there are things to do in Oklahoma City as long as you're sort of a bookworm, nerd type of guy like myself.
0: I found a restaurant that was good finally.
1: All right. Anyway, um, so Kevin,
0: (laughs) I I want to go back to Kevin Love because it's a philosophically, I think it's an interesting thing. So my first thought was that you have to go get DeAndre Jordan because Kevin Love can't play the five, and so then Kevin Love can play the stretch four, and he's really perfect with a rim-rolling five. Like I was like, okay, that's the... But then he has to be a switchable four, because in this day and age, pretty much every team switching one through four defensively, he can't do that. So there is a flaw in his game at some point, no matter where he is.
1: Yeah, there is, uh, but you know the the number of guys who can really do that on the high level that you're you're looking at is a pretty short list, you know. And even DeAndre, you know, playing in as a five, I think you could make a case that he would shore some things up, but he would require some compromises as well. I mean, when when, uh, Golden State, you know, goes small and they've had no problem in the past sort of, uh, you know, making life difficult for DeAndre Jordan. And then every time you're putting a guy on the court with LeBron who needs to be around the basket and who's not really a playmaker himself, I mean, that becomes a compromise. I mean, one reason why LeBron's had such amazing numbers this year is because he's got a wide open paint night after night because love's not in there crowding it up. And, uh, you know, so there are, there are gives and takes. Uh, there's, there's no question, but. Um, I think, you know, when you're looking at this Cavaliers team, I'm, I'm interested in your take. I mean, obviously, you know, Kevin Love's not an ideal defensive piece, but when you're matching up with, you know, the Celtics, uh, or the Raptors in a playoff series, are you that worried that Love's going to be so bad defensively that it costs you a series? I mean, it might reflect, you know, uh, one game or two game here and there, but I don't think he's so terrible that, you know, he's throwing the series just because he, uh, isn't quite, you know, quick enough laterally or isn't good enough moving around in space.
0: I mean, I think you just proved the point of this whole conversation, which was longer than I intended, but it was in, it's interesting, is that they have to make a move on one level to be able to compete with Golden State because they're just not good enough. But I'm not sure they have to make a move to be able to get past the Raptors and the Celtics, and there is not a move that gets them to be able to compete with Golden State, which is makes it kind of really interesting Um in so many regards. So just put put a bow on that in that regard and let everyone chew on it. I got to tell you, on these crazy stories today, Washington is my favorite. <laughs> because – and maybe this yeah. is because I live in the league. So Washington has a players-only meeting, which – is the first thing. So why they decided they had to have a players-only meeting. And, they've, and there's been this, like, bubbling thing all year, right? John, John Walls makes the comment earlier this year that they are, a bunch of guys are playing for numbers. Um, they've lost, I think, 11 games to below 500 teams this year. So there's all, so they have this players-only meeting that evidently doesn't sound – a bunch of players then go to the media afterwards and say, we had a players-only meeting, but I didn't get to say what I wanted to say, so it really was a total waste of time. Like, that in itself
1: is just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, normally we don't get such vivid descriptions of the players only meeting. I mean, isn't that the idea? I mean, isn't that right. inherent in the title, players only? Like, right. But uh, I have been a longtime defender of John Wall. Uh, I've liked his game. Even when he didn't have the three-point shot, I said, look, this guy brings a lot to the table, and he puts a lot of pressure on defenses. He's an underrated passer and playmaker. Uh, when he wants to play defense, you know, he can play pretty good defense. I'm not sure you can really defend John Wall's season this year. I mean, I, I did my all-star reserve picks. I left him off. Even if he had been fully healthy all season long, I would have left him off. He hasn't been consistent. And this is something I said a few weeks ago. Anytime you have the type of comments that Scott Brooks is making about, essentially guys don't want to play, he's something's got to change. We've got, a you know, a kind of a funk with uh, how the, the team is operating – You know, that goes straight to your best player. That's on his shoulders, period. He has got to be the one that pulls the team in and has his team respond out of that. And there's been no response. And in fact, it's been the opposite. I mean, these guys are laying down left and right. I mean, they're losing, they're dropping games to uh, horrible teams. And I thought Berea, like you mentioned earlier, was dead on. I mean, kind of calling them out for, uh, you know, the team really maybe not having the faith in Wall's leadership. Okay, but let's go. I got
0: to jump in here because this is my favorite part of the story. And I'm being a completely unprofessional journalist right here. So I am not a journalist right here. Don't, I'm not, like, don't. But JJ Bray does not say that unless in a conversation on the floor last night, one of the players said that to him. That is my take on that. J.J. Barea does not go in the visiting locker room and say, I'm not sure they like to play with John Wall, unless at a free throw last night, one of the guys looking at him and says, oh, my God, I cannot handle playing with this guy. Like, I'm totally making that up, but I think that's how the league works. In fact, I know that's how the league
1: works. Well, I mean, even last year when things were going good for the Wizards, these guys talk an awful lot on the court. Like, I don't I don't know, if, you know how close you are to the games, you know, probably closer to me, but, like, even at Staples Center, you know, we're sitting in the corner not too far away from the court, and they just run their mouth constantly. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was some friendly fire between the Wizards at some point that might have, you know, tipped J.J. Bray off because these guys just yap. I mean, there's a team full of yappers. Um, regarding Waldo, I mean, is he healthy? I think that's one question because there was a season maybe two or three years ago where his efficiency slipped, his impact slipped. He wasn't quite the same guy. Their team stability really went up and down and, you know, it turned out that he had, you know, some knee issue way after the fact. And I guess that's kind of my question is, is there some other explanation because if there's not like John Wall needs to be better than this. I mean, this guy has been proven in the league as like a top five, six point guard and he has not played that way at all this season.
0: What do you do if you're Washington? You've just paid Beal, Wall, and Porter. Do you move? Do you mo- try to move one of them at the deadline?
1: Well, individually, I like all three players. I mean, that's the thing. I like I like Otto Porter a lot. I mean, to me, he's solid. You Have to pay you know your third wheel that kind of max contract. It always gets you in trouble uh, from a salary cap standpoint. I wouldn't trade Beal. To me, he's been. You know, probably the best thing that team's had all season long in terms of consist- consistency. And here there's still a lot of room for improvement with Beal. Like, to me, he should be shooting, like, 30% more threes than he does. And he, he has made some progress that direction in terms of, like, cutting down some of the fat out of his shooting diet. Uh, but this is one of these guys who should just be launching threes, uh, even though his percentages aren't great. Uh, I mean, they're good. They're just not, like, super elite. Uh, he's got that shooting stroke where he just needs to be playing a smarter style where he's just getting more threes up and and you would see, I think that translate to you know, his team's uh, uh, offensive efficiency uh, improving. I would stay the course. I mean, with with Wall, I think he's basically untradeable. You certainly could trade uh, just because of the contract. You know, I'm not sure anyone wants to take that on at this point. And you hardly ever see guys on that big of a number move that early in that in their deal with Beal. I would just, uh, I guess if I was Washington's front office, my entire strategy right now would be close my eyes and pray. I would just hope these guys can figure it out. And if they can't, then they'll be humbled. And this is a team that kind of needs to be humbled. I mean, just the way they carry themselves, all that funeral stuff last year, all the trash talk they've done towards uh, LeBron James and and others in in recent uh, months, they just got ahead of themselves. They put the cart before the horse a little bit and, Uh, If that means, you know, bombing out in the first round of the playoffs this year or potentially somehow backsliding into the ninth seed, you know, I think you would see the the team come back with a different mentality, a little bit more focused next season. Uh, And I like their main pieces.
0: Uh, By the way, I think Bradley Beal has the widest discrepancy on catch-and-shoot three versus off-the-bounce three, or one of the widest. Interesting. Uh, Actually, I think Buddy Heald might be wider, but that's part of the reason why I don't think Bradley Beal can shoot that many threes is he's not very good off-the-bounce. Um, we just played them. So I had that,
1: I had that number. Um, go ahead, Ben. No, I said, well, let's get him in the gym this summer. You know, let's figure that out because he's got the shot. I mean, you know, he should be able to do that. Uh, there's not really any excuse for it. We've seen other guys build that out. It's a tough skill definitely, uh, uh, something you have to work on, but he, he's already had to master a lot during his career. I mean, remember when he was young, this guy barely got to the free throw line, you know, and he was just taking tough twos over and over bad shots. Uh, you know, he didn't even necessarily trust himself out to range earlier. So I, I think he's young enough where to me, like if wall wasn't there, I could see a scenario where he was like a 30 points per game type of score a couple of years down the road. I mean, I, I still think he has that much untapped potential, especially if you ramped up his usage rate in a big way. Uh, so I'm not ready to give up on him. And I think, you know, if I'm Washington's front office, like that's why I wouldn't want to hit the panic button and blow things up because, You know, Porter's still getting better. Uh, You know, Wall is one of the better players at his position when he's playing well. And Beal is one of the most promising young guards in the league. If, uh, you know, he's clicking on all cylinders, that's a pretty nice collection. and, And you'd rather, you know, make tweaks around those guys than blow it up.
0: What do you think Damian Lillard's trying to get done in that meeting in Portland?
1: Pretty, pretty awkward. I think, first of all, his primary objective, I would guess, is to protect Terry Stotts because, He has gone to bat for Terry Stotts more times, more frequently, and with a louder voice than I think I can ever remember any player uh, in recent memory. And that's to his credit. You know, I mean, Lillard, uh, you know, some of his campaign for the All-Star stuff rubs me the wrong way a little bit. I mean, just go out there and earn it, you know, and and don't have to tell us all about it. You don't have to, uh, you know, spark all these debates over it. Um, but he seems to really like Stotts, and there's been a big question in Portland for months, basically back to the start of the season. Once it became clear, you know, these guys weren't going to be like a top three seed in the West, and you know, Nurkic wasn't quite going to deliver like he did down the stretch of last season. And that question was, you know, is Stotts going to have to pay for this, or is Shea going to have to pay for this? Because there's kind of a blase mentality that has enveloped them, just because they haven't been able to get over the hump. They've just been kind of average or slightly better than average here for like three or four seasons in a row. Uh, and to me, the problem has been O'Shea. It's not been Stotts. I mean, their offense hasn't been as good as it should be this year. It hasn't been that typical Terry Stotts offense with the beautiful flow. And, uh, you know, that kind of built around those star guards, but not completely reliant upon them. It's gotten a little better here recently, but they did start pretty slow on that end. Um, and I think that's why some people were worried that he was in trouble but when you compare whatever Stotts' flaws might be to the kinds of mistakes that O'Shea has made, uh, you know, you look back at the Evan Turner contract, the Myers Leonard contract, uh, you know, even the Zach Collins pick instead of Donovan Mitchell, that's everybody's favorite in Portland right now to, to be upset about. You just go right down the list, there's been a lot of mismanagement. And when he came to Portland, you know, this guy was talking about being a big-time maker. You know, he's going to lure these free agents, he's going to get uh, – uh, you know, needle-moving type of players, and he just hasn't delivered. You know, it was a lot of talk and really no walk, and, um, you know, I think if if your ownership, it's good to solicit player feedback on roster construction, especially when, you know, Lillard's locked in for such a big contract. You know, what does he think about the job that's been done in terms of building around him? And if I was Lillard, I'd be really frustrated. You know, they have so many guys out there who – are just empty minutes who aren't really bringing much to the table, who keep a lot of the burden on Lillard and on McCollum. And, you know, from that standpoint, I actually think, you know, even though that meeting sounded kind of secretive and weird, I actually think that was a, a pretty healthy sign of of, uh, of a smart franchise.
0: That is part one with Ben Golliver. Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's program. Promo code is L O. NBA, that's LONBA. Part two, we'll go on the floor about Warriors Rockets. We'll talk a little bit about the five best offensive players of all time. We stumbled into that. We'll talk about the ref issue and get into that. We'll get into the salary cap in of this offseason and what that means. We'll play commissioner and change the league. A lot of fun in part two. I'll try to post that as soon as possible. Thanks for tuning in to Locked On NBA. Ben's podcast is open floor. Thank him on Twitter at,
1: at Golliver and go subscribe to your local Locked On podcast on the NBA.